Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Kins 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball in general. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And Cameron, the Spurs are the eighth seed. <laughs> they did it. Wrap oh it up. Gosh. Put the season on wrap right now. It's over. Spurs are making the playoffs. We playoffs start tomorrow. Uh, we'll be there to cover it all as we go along. No, I mean, part of it's the Spurs did it, and part of it is, you know, other teams didn't do it. The Blazers ended up losing a game last night that knocked them out. Uh, I mean, it's percentage points at this point in time of the season. So let's take a look at the last week here and see what kind of kind of clicked into place to keep to propel the Spurs back into the playoff contention there. Uh, let's jump back to January. Uh, jump back to December 23rd uh, when the Spurs took on the Memphis Grizzlies and blew them out of the water, 145 to 115. Uh, just shooting all around the board was on fire for that Spurs team. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was the standout of that game with 40 points, nine rebounds, of five assists. That was his uh, season high in points uh, so far this season. Yeah, the Spurs were just unconscious. Everybody, anywhere, anytime. Uh, I'll start with just the basic numbers. Uh, 60 of 89 from the floor. You don't have to be good at math to know that that's like that's good. That's a lot of that's a lot of made shots. Uh, effective field goal percentage, which is something that weighs the value of a three pointer a little bit more heavily than the value of a two pointer, uh, according to #basketball.com. I'm jumping right into the nerd stuff if you if you don't mind. Uh, their effective field goal percentage, the Spurs in that game, 75.8, which is the fourth best effective field goal percentage for any team in any game in NBA history. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm assuming that's regular season. And it was just the, uh, they were just the eighth team in NBA history to have an effective field goal percentage of 75% or more in a single game. So the Spurs, for one night, they were just, no one was going to beat them. Yeah, I mean, and that's got to be an outlier, right? That's not something they're going to be able to continue for most of the season. Uh, a bit. I mean, that was such a surprise in this game. you got to talk about DeMar DeRozan in particular, who was a 10 for 11 from the field, 6 for 6 from the free throw line. Um, most points they've had in regulation since 2010. Uh, just a, a way to, uh, to to blow out a team that you probably should have beaten the first time you played them. That was kind of a surprising loss for, for a team that really wasn't clicking yet. Um, but yeah, you, you come out in the second game, you kind of avenge that first loss. Uh, you prove that, uh, you know, you are the better team. Uh, I want to steal this uh, fact from Evan Klosky here uh, to kind of sum this game up in, in one word. I'm, I'm actually going to use a phrase. Uh, DeMar, DeMore, passing. Uh, Evan Klosky, Ken's Five Sports Anchor, says the Spurs are 39-13 and 13 all time when DeMar DeRozan has six or more assists in a game. Um, they're seven and ones this season. Uh, which is, you know, let DeMar pass. You know, he, he's a great shooter, very effective field goal shooter in this game, very effective passer. That's kind of what gets the offense clicking, and it worked last year for him. I think that also speaks to maybe one of the problems this team has had in terms of roster construction this season. DeMar DeRozan is an excellent player with the ball in his hands, and one of the things that really worked for the Raptors when he was really at the peak of his powers was that they had a lot of shooters around him, and that's something the Spurs don't really have a ton of. The, the floor spacing hasn't been there for the Spurs this season because they don't have as many three-point threats. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing the Spurs have a little bit more success with DeJounte Murray coming off the bench, playing some fewer minutes with DeMar DeRozan. Even though they're two of the Spurs' probably four best players, having them not have to share the floor because they're both uh, not great three-point shooters, you let them do what they do well, which is get into space, uh, drive and kick to some other guys who are better shooters, and that's where the Spurs are having some success. And uh, obviously, on, on this particular night, the Spurs were having success shooting the ball 
everybody was. Uh, Three-point number was 15 of 24, which is 62 and a half percent. This is a team that cannot shoot three-pointers, by the way. So. Uh, except for that night. Yeah. Uh, and and you, 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 what you'd hope to see then is the Spurs take a, uh, you know, maybe things are clicking in place. Maybe they can put together a couple of consistent wins back to back, you know, a big blowout, come out the next game and win. That's not the case here. Uh, the next game against the Mavericks on December 26th, they lose by four. It's 102 to 98 loss, four point loss there. But I mean, that's not really, the, that scoreboard doesn't really reflect the, the nature of the game there. Uh, the Spurs fell very far behind in that third quarter. Yeah, the the shooting they they kind of left it in in that last game. Uh, that the third quarter was all right for them, but they were you know just just kind of struggled. It, getting the ball in the basket was was really a struggle for them. Uh, in a, coming off just a couple days ago when they had had the the sixty two percent performance from deep, they turn around and they shoot twenty eight percent from behind the arc. Uh, eight of twenty nine, and as a team from the field overall, forty eight percent. So just dramatic drop off and I mean when you take the average of those two games that you're you're fine but uh it's really frustrating in that game because that was a game uh Luka Doncic coming off of injury was looking pretty human Kristaps Porzingis wasn't shooting the ball well when those two guys aren't playing well Dallas is very vulnerable and that's the kind of game where if you catch those guys in that situation it was kind of a, a perfect storm the Spurs with even an average night shooting the ball could have taken that game pretty easily but they were just they were just really off yeah, it's too bad they couldn't put it together on both sides of the, the court there. The defense showed up. The offense didn't that night. Uh, and it wasn't just the offense that disappeared. You know, some players weren't even in the game. Uh, Lonnie Walker, a coach's decision not to play that game. Marco Bellinelli, Marco Bellinelli ended up picking up 15 minutes there. Uh, but, man, what a poor night of shooting for Marco and Brent uh, that night. Uh, 0 for 4 from deep. Yeah, and Marco Bellinelli... Just the threat of him being able to shoot the ball is valuable, even if he's not stroking it really well in a particular game because defenses have to respect that he is a you know a guy you can't leave open in the corner. But if they're not going in, man, it is, it is tough to justify. That's been really, at least on Spurs Twitter, that's been the big debate this whole season is Marco versus Lonnie for those sort of bench wing minutes. And it's really been the situation where Lonnie Walker has had to earn those minutes and then some, I think, in a lot of people's minds uh, because he's overcoming a lot of of history for, uh, you know, with Marco Bellinelli and the Spurs and Coach Pop and, and very much a win-now mentality. There are a lot of other teams where Lonnie Walker would have played a lot more his rookie year and would, have be, would be playing a lot more this year. But the Spurs are uh, kind of a throwback franchise, and they are, in a lot of ways, uh, beholden to this idea of trying to uh, keep the playoff streak alive. I know something the fans really want. I think it means a lot to this uh, organization, this front office, and it would be very historic if they could get to the playoffs again this year. And maybe that's coming at the expense of some young guys. Uh, Lonnie Walker has been great in stretches, and he's been eh, so-so in some stretches. Yeah, it's frustrating for sure if you're a Spurs fan and you want to see these young players who have been so hyped up um, over the last few years um, based on their, their draft standing, based on the, the YouTube highlight reel videos you see from them. And then when they do get minutes, I mean, they show up more than often than not. Lonnie Walker is a guy who is one of the most athletic Spurs we've seen in the last few years, uh, maybe of this decade, uh, and he's a, a fan favorite based on his uh, highlight reel dunks, his ability to score really quickly, um, his flashy hairstyle. But you got to trust uh, the, the the front office here, who's who's kind of shown the value of letting these players rest, uh, sit it out a little bit pick up playing time when they can, but also pick up playing time in the G League uh, and really just work their way into the system. Uh, it's worked in the past for players like DeJounte Murray, Kyle Anderson, even Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green were these players who, who took time to get into the rotation to really gain that corporate knowledge. Um, but I, I'd imagine by 
the end of this season, we'll see Bellinelli less and less and Walker more and more. And Bellinelli, in fact, did not play in this Pistons game. The next game, on December 28th, Lonnie Walker did pick those minutes. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, over these last three games, it's been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing for the Spurs. Uh, one night they'll blow out a team, the next night they'll lose. Uh, they blew out the Pistons, 136, 109. Uh, the standout of that game, LaMarcus Aldridge with five three-pointers and uh, 12 rebounds as well. Uh, man, if LaMarcus Aldridge can shoot five three-pointers uh, a, a game every once in a while, I'll take it. That's, that's, that's very helpful for the Spurs. Yeah, it's a career high for him, and the, the stat is uh, in his last three games, he's attempted uh, 13 three-pointers over those three games. So it's, it's definitely an upward trend. Obviously, to make five, you need to attempt quite a few. And uh, Coach Popovich likes it. I think Spurs fans love to see it. And it, we've talked so much about how important the spacing is for this team. It opens up so much for DeJounte Murray and DeMar DeRozan in particular, but everybody, if you have big men who can stretch the floor, Jakob Pertl's not going to be that guy. Trey Lyles has offered some of that at times. They're not afraid to put him in the corner. Uh, but LaMarcus Aldridge is definitely a guy who can create his shot off the bounce a little bit. And I think just aesthetically, it's more pleasing to watch than back to the basket, three power dribbles, turn, and which shoulder is he going to shoot it over? Uh, that that's, It's a been the way basketball was played for a very long time, and it works when you have a guy who's as good uh, in the low block as Aldridge. But I think fans are just used to nowadays seeing a different style, and the Spurs are starting to get there. Yeah, they're starting to run plays for Aldridge out there at the three-point line, setting up a three-point shot for him. And he was even speaking to reporters uh, this week about what it means to this team when he can add at least three to four attempts a game, not just makes, but just the attempts. The fact that he's out there shooting, just it's another weapon. It's, it's that spacing you were talking about. Um, and it really clears the floor for people like DeMar DeRozan, who doesn't have that three-point shot. But man, he's killer from the mid-range, killer from the basket. Another efficient night for him against that Pistons team. 13 for 16 with 29 points, eight assists. Again, going back to the Klosky stat there. When he gets those assists, the Spurs win. Here's another DeRozan nugget. This is, uh, I think, from the AP recap of the game. Uh, DeRozan, has uh, that game was his 400th career 20-point performance. And since he was drafted in 2009, the only players with more such games, more 20-point games, uh, LeBron, KD, Harden, Westbrook, Curry, Carmelo Anthony, and LaMarcus Aldridge. So in terms of just pure scores, the Spurs have two of the best. Yeah, I mean, there's elite scoring. The shooting was there against the Pistons. Um, they didn't really need to play defense. They were on cruise <laughs> control there for a bit. But, uh. Yeah, the, the Pistons couldn't really throw it in the ocean. Uh, there were times when the Spurs defense kind of fell apart, and those were situations where it was kind of garbage time. You had a lot of younger guys in there. And what I really appreciated about that, even though it was a 30-point game, basically, Coach Pop's still calling a timeout. He's still getting everybody in the— there's five minutes left, and it's a 20-plus-point game, and he's still coaching guys up. He's still talking it through. It would be really easy for him to sit back. I mean, how many games has Coach Popovich won? He's won more than enough. He doesn't <laughs> need to do a ton of instructing. These are NBA players, but he's still taking that time. He's still taking it seriously. Uh, and Really, nobody on the Pistons had a good game. They, they only shot 44% from the field, 33% from long range, so it, it was a winnable game, and then the Spurs obviously shot it very well, and that helped lead to the margin. Uh, for the Pistons, though, shouts to Derrick Rose coming off the bench. We talked about sort of what the fans like to see. He's always going to be a fan favorite, uh, despite some off-the-court problems. You just want to see a guy who's been through what he's been through in terms of battling back from injuries. Uh, he led the team with 24 points in that game. Is he old enough of a player? Is he enough of a veteran to call that a vintage Derrick Rose game? 
Oh, absolutely. He had a game last year uh, with when he was with the Timberwolves where he, I think he dropped 50. He did, yeah. And, and he was crying after the, you know, he was just, he, he was, you know, tearing up in the post-game interview because uh, it, it really was a, a throwback. A term. I mean, his MVP season was 2011. That's, you know, as we're talking about, we'll, we'll talk about the, the past decade here in a few minutes, Jackson, but that's that's a while now. Yeah, I mean, it's too bad that injuries derailed him for a few years there. It's good to see him have games like last year against Minnesota and this year against us where he shows those flashes of elite scoring. You mentioned the name of people who've scored 20-point games a season. He'd be in that list if it wasn't for several years of injury recovery, rehabilitation. Uh, Sean Elliott talked about this during the game. You never know what to expect. You, you can't You can't understand what these players are going through trying to get their bodies back into shape. And it's different for every player. Uh, and it's a scary thing for these players, too. So shouts to him, like you said, for having a, a great game against us. Well, one more shout-out, too. Uh, Drew Eubanks got in the game, uh, a Spurs two-way player. Uh, played just three minutes, a lot, uh, lot of effort. I'm sure he broke a pretty big sweat in just the, the three minutes he was out there. And then also Lonnie Walker. Uh, that guy, they're trampolines under his feet. I think all the baskets he made in that game were dunks, which... It, you, you sort of expect that from a young guy. He's he, you know he's still not old enough to drink, so uh, <laughs> you're just he's just out there. And the Spurs haven't had a guy with that kind of athleticism in a really long time. He he adds something to this team, and I, I'm sure it can be more. We've seen it be more, as the the Rockets will tell you, than just hey you know garbage time, some exciting dunks. I, I I love what he brings on the defensive end against some of the the premier scorers in this league. He has the athleticism. Maybe the technique isn't quite where Coach Popovich wants it to be, but man, when he gets up, especially in a home game and when the atmosphere needs it, and he you know he's, he has a tip dunk or a lob dunk. The AT&T Center loves it. Yeah, I, I might have talked about this in the podcast last week, but having been to a game this season, he's the player that fans get the loudest for when he's entering the game. And you can see the excitement there. And the Spurs broadcast team used the moniker Lonnie Skywalker. I'm glad that's catching on. He has certainly earned it. He gets about 20 feet in the air every time he jumps. Uh, he was getting put back rebound dunks that game. An exciting player. Let's see him put it all together here, you know, for a consistent run. One more, one more uh, fan favorite note. I don't know if you've seen the clip. I think this is about a week ago now, where uh, the Celtics Taco Fall got in a game, and Brad Stevens out there pumping up the crowd. He's he's waving his arms, you leading know. the taco chant. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, Lonnie Walker's not that much of a physical anomaly. He's he's very athletic, and he's probably the most athletic guy in the Spurs. But uh, seven foot six guys don't grow on trees. I know we were we were fans of him and of of Bull Bull in our in our draft coverage leading up to this season, Jackson. So still waiting for the Taco Bowl. We need Bull Bull to get healthy and then uh, see those two players go face to face. But getting back on topic here, yes. uh, this is a team that is firing on all cylinders now. It's been a while. We've been waiting to see this happen. Things are clicking into place, and I mean it's it's kind of a sneaky thing. Like I don't think many Spurs fans would know that Lamarcus Aldridge is shooting forty percent from three pointer. You know, Steph Curry goes out for a season and lets Lamarcus Aldridge do the Space Jam Monstars absorb the talent there. Uh, he is our Steph Curry uh, on this team. Uh, we'll see if that continues for the whole season, if it's going to be a consistent thing. He's also uh, averaging an, an, an abnormal amount of blocks for the season. I think part of that comes to um, some iffy backcourt defense play for us. A lot of people are getting to the rim, and he's stepping up, and he's blocking more shots this season. DeMar DeRozan is having the most efficient season of his career. Right now, over the last four games, he's averaged 25 points, four rebounds, six assists. He's shooting 71% from the field. On the season, he has a 75% true, true shooting percentage. 
And, and Rudy Gay is starting to look like himself, too. I mean, he had a shaky start to the season. Uh, it's becoming more consistent for him off the bench there. Uh, you like to see that. We'll see if this can be a consistent thing. We talked last time they had a seven-game stretch here where they needed to go 5-2 and two to really clinch a playoff spot before running into the buzzsaw that is the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks on a back-to-back to start the season. So they've got to finish off this stretch here. Uh, New Year's Eve, that's tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday. They go against Golden State. And then January 2nd, they go against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Are those winnable? Are those must-win games? I think the one against Golden State is a must-win game. The Spurs have already dropped way too many games against teams that are at the bottom of the standings, games against teams that when they look at that game and they're looking at ping-pong balls in, in April and May, they're going to say, wow, why did, why did we win that game? We could have improved our, our, uh, our draft position, uh, but the Spurs couldn't get it done against, you know, we saw Memphis, we saw Atlanta, we saw Washington, games against New York, like, Got to win these games against the teams that really are not even in consideration for being playoff teams. Uh, the one against Oklahoma City will be much more interesting. The, the Thunder right now are the seven seed. Uh, the Spurs right now are the eight seed. And looking at the teams that are under them right now, Portland is right in that mix. Yusuf Nurkic is probably going to come back at some point. Carmelo Anthony has been kind of a revelation for that team. And obviously, you can never count out a Damian Lillard team. They were a Western Conference finalist last year. And right now, they're the nine seed, which is wild. Uh, Phoenix, they, they got that hot start, but they're, looking, they're starting to come back down to earth, uh, so to speak, with the Suns. There's, there's, a, there's a pun in there somewhere, I guess. <laughs> the uh, sun is setting, I think. Or <laughs> uh, it maybe never fully rose. It was, it was you know, maybe one of those Alaskan winter sunrises where it was up for a minute. We'll just say partly cloudy. How about Something that? like that, yeah. Uh, Memphis is, is too young. Minnesota, there's some, some rumblings that Carl Anthony Towns is unhappy. Sacramento hasn't really put it together. And then uh, New Orleans is still waiting for Zion, and Golden State is everybody's hurt on that team. So that's the whole Western Conference and the Spurs in this in this mix because the top six are so solid. And there's a pretty big gulf between uh, Utah at six and OKC at seven. And then obviously uh, both LA teams, Denver, Houston, and Dallas are, are the top five right now. You've got to take care of business against the bottom half of the West, try to scrape a few extra wins. The eight, the eight seed is doable for the Spurs. I You know, I'm not sure... Uh, maybe a month ago, we were we would have been saying this. The Spurs looked really rough uh, after that that long losing streak in in early November. The eight seed is in play. Yeah, and I mean, it just comes back to the fact that the second half of the season, the Spurs still have the toughest schedule. So win now as much as you can, especially, you know, tonight, Golden State, we know that a lot of the injury history they've got there this season. No Steph Curry, no Clay Thompson, obviously. But tonight, they're resting D'Angelo Russell. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is uh, kind of a, 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 a question mark there. He wants to be traded. He doesn't really fit into that team, so they're not playing him as well. This is a team that you go out and defeat a depleted team, hopefully, uh, so let's hope they don't coast. Let's hope they're not looking too far ahead to that Oklahoma City game. Um, something I want to point out about the Oklahoma City game, um, those are the two teams with the most wins in the last decade. Uh, you look at the Spurs, who had 553. Oklahoma City sitting somewhere like 40 behind that. So pretty interesting to see these two teams who have gone over, uh, gone through some seismic shifts in the last 10 years, last two years especially, uh, kind of going at it here. Um, well, what's amazing is that is that Golden State isn't a top two team in the terms of the, the past decade. They had that seventy three win season, but you forget at the beginning of the decade, uh, there there were some rough times, and there was talk maybe Steph Curry would have been traded. It was him or Monte Ellis, and uh, basically the Milwaukee Bucks picked wrong in that trade that sent Andrew Bogut back to uh, to the Bay Area. So that's a little bit of a history lesson there. But yeah, Golden State has been fantastic over the last decade, obviously. Uh, this year is not their year, and it should be a Spurs win. So, Cameron, who would you consider 
to be the NBA's all-decade team from the 2010s here. We we talked about this. We there was uh, we talked about this yesterday, Jackson. We were as we were looking at this tweet. Uh, so the NBA, uh, the ESPN NBA crew is a pretty good starting point. Their, their guards are Curry and Harden. Uh, they had LeBron, KD, and Anthony Davis. That's a great five right now. That's probably five of the seven best players in, in the world right now. Giannis has obviously got to be in that conversation. Uh, Luka Doncic right now is really, really good, but obviously just came into the league last year. So uh, it's really hard to beef too much with that list. To me, I think Anthony Davis is the one that doesn't belong on that list, uh, just because, first of all, he didn't really play the whole decade. He, he came in two years into the decade. He's hasn't had that playoff track record of success I don't think he's gone past the second round, and he hasn't. I think he's only made it to the second round once. And to me, the name that should be on that list is Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, obviously, the last three, maybe four years of the decade weren't so great. But you look at what he did at the start of the decade, the consistency, the longevity. Uh, he has an NBA championship this decade. That's not something that everybody on that list can say. Cough, cough, James Harden, and I'll get to him in a second. Uh, but yeah, you and you were looking at that list, Jackson. You were saying... Wait, how many games has Anthony Davis played, and has Tim Duncan played more? They're they're about twenty games apart, uh, and that would surprise you because Duncan retired twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen, four years left in the decade. Davis just missed so many games from injury. I'm not saying Duncan is the guy to replace him. I think Nowitzki is a good choice. Uh, my guy is Kawhi Leonard, um, who you know really clicked into uh, the, into to gear by about the 2013-2014 season, and of course, two time NBA champion, two time NBA Finals MVP. Um, maybe not the Spurs' favorite guy, but, you know, he's been there. He's got the stats. Defensive player of the year twice. He finished third in the MVP voting one year. Uh, he's made two All-Star games. Um, that might be three All-Star. He's made three All-Star games now, uh, two with the Spurs. Um, he's a guy I would put in that list. Of course, I know if they're, they're treating it like a team, need a big man. Yeah, maybe go to Whiskey over that. Um, regardless, I think the 2010s has to be considered the deepest talent-wise the NBA's been ever. Uh, I know a lot of people are attached to the 90s uh, with Michael Jordan and all those guys. Uh, but yeah, it just runs a little deeper. Michael Jordan may be the, the apex for that decade, maybe better than any player that played in the last 10 years. But uh, just it runs deeper here. I would make an argument, if you're just picking five, I would make an argument for the 80s where you could get Magic Bird, Jordan, and then you know pick pick any yeah. two other guys. Moses Malone, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem was yeah. at the tail end of his career. Kevin McHale was fantastic during that time. Uh, Clyde Drexler was was right there. You started Thomas. You started to get the those bad boy Pistons yeah. coming through. Uh, again, if, if you're building a 12 man team, yeah, give me the 2010s. But starting five, you, you, that would be fun. That would be a, a really interesting debate to have and a rabbit hole. We don't have time to go down right now, Jackson. Suffice it to say, Spurs fans. Your all-decade team in my book is going to be Curry, LeBron, KD, Dirk, and then, unfortunately, pick between Kawhi or James Harden, whichever is the uh, the lesser of two evils in your mind. I can get behind that. Uh, now, when you're looking at franchises of the decade, I think Golden State's probably the answer most people jump to mind. You look at the consecutive finals appearances they made, the historic 73-win season, uh, the multiple championships— that's a great argument. I'm not going to fight anyone who says that. I just want to throw some numbers out over the San Antonio Spurs for the past 10 years. In terms of regular seasons, uh, in terms of regular season wins, all they did is win over the last 10 years. We're talking about 553 regular season wins in the past decade, with one game left for sure. Uh, that's the most wins in the period, like I said, 40 over Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, but, you know, playoffs define a team's legacy in the NBA. Uh, well, the Spurs didn't miss the playoffs every single year this decade, and they're the only franchise who did that. 
Uh, and in those nine playoff appearances, the Spurs reached the Western Conference Finals four times. That's tied with the Thunder for the second most Western Conference Finals appearances, just one less behind the Warriors. And, you know, out throughout the whole decade, nine teams made the NBA Finals. The Spurs did that twice. Only seven of the 30 teams won a championship this, this decade. You know, the Spurs did that in 2014 and along the way dismantled the, the, the big three in Miami. Uh, that team was never the same. That was a five-game series. Uh, so, so I think the, you know, the numbers stack up there. I, it's probably the Warriors' decade, but I'd put the, the Spurs close second. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But. Yeah, I think it's the kind of thing where there's a recency bias, where the stuff that happened in 2018 and 2019 is fresher in your mind than what happened in 2010, 2011, 2012. The Spurs were better in the beginning of this decade than the Warriors. There's no doubt about that. And then you started to see the torch being passed. The, the Spurs fought really hard to get that back. Jackson, I know you and I have talked about the, the what if, about the Kawhi Leonard Zaza Pachulia incident in uh, 2017, that maybe, just maybe, the, the, the Warriors wouldn't be the same team. Again, that was the first year of Kevin Durant. That was the year after the 73-win team. They were uh, upset in the finals the previous year, and the Spurs were beating them in Game 1 in Oracle Arena. Kawhi Leonard was going off, and then he obviously was done. So, yeah, there were moments. There, there were chances there. You, the, the narrative could be very different if Ray Allen doesn't hit that shot in 2013 where the Spurs probably have a second title. Does that change whether the Warriors still get three? Probably not. But th- there, there's definitely a case to be made where the Spurs fans could say, actually, we have more wins. We're the team of the decade. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, it's a Spurs team that probably shouldn't have been as good in the decade. It took a, a huge transition just to get them from where they were at the beginning of the decade to a championship level in 2014. I just want to read you the Spurs depth chart from the 2010-2011 yes. season. Yes, uh, Starting point guard, Tony Parker. Starting shooting guard, Manu Ginobili. He wasn't six-man that year. A small forward, Richard Jefferson, Tim Duncan, Antonio McDias. The bench that year, George Hill, Gary Neal. M.A. Udoka was actually our backup small forward before moving to the, the assistant coach role in a couple years after that. Matt Bonner, Dwan Blair. Uh, Tiago Splitter was a reserve who never came over. James Anderson was a reserve. Um, that's a, a, a pretty poor team. Yeah. Dewan Blair ended up starting 65 games for that team. Yeah, that's, that's not a championship caliber team. Even, <laughs> even though Tim was still at the tail end, the very tail end of his prime, Tony and Manu were much younger, much more athletic, and doing great things, basically their primes, and you're talking 2010. That's, there's just not enough around them. It's a steep fall off. So to, to yeah. imagine where they got in the last decade is pretty impressive. And so transitioning to that, let's take a look at some of the players that defined the decade. Uh, here at Ken's Five, we put together uh, our choices for the Spurs All Decades teams. Uh, what we did was we looked at um, you know the, the past 10 years, players who played for the Spurs, and we put together a first team and a second team, a starting five, and then each of these teams has a sixth man because, you know, Manu. Um, so let me lay out real quick who's on our first team here for the Spurs all decade. It's pretty much who you'd expect. Point guard is Tony Parker. Shooting guard, Danny Green. Small forward, Kawhi Leonard. Power forward, LaMarcus Aldridge. Tim Duncan is that fifth guy there at the power forward center position. And, of course, Manu Ginobili is the sixth man. Yeah, I think you would argue, you know, if you had to cut it to five, you'd put Manu over Danny Green, but it's sort of the nod to uh, what made Manu's career so special is that he was that sixth man. Interestingly enough, this lineup is I'm pretty sure the starting lineup for the 2015-2016, right in the middle of that decade, the Spurs. Marcus Aldridge had come over from Portland, and uh, man, that team, that was such a good team, 2015-16, really would have been the best team in the NBA if it wasn't for those whole Warriors who won 73 games. Yeah, I mean, they still won more than, I think, 65 games that season, and uh, should have gone further in the playoffs than they did, 
ran into uh, ran into a buzzsaw in the Oklahoma City Thunder, who just were a gigantic team that year. Uh, you're talking about a team that started Durant, Ibaka, and Adams, three seven footers. Spurs ran into that there. Um, I, I I think that Green kind of earned the, the spot there with 464 games started uh, that decade. Uh, he's already in the Spurs record books, all over the place for his three point shooting. Plus, you know who could forget his 2013 NBA Finals hot streak? You know. Ray Allen, again, like we mentioned, uh, if it's not for him, he might be an NBA Finals MVP. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Jeez, that's, that's a wild point. Transitioning to the second team then, uh, you know, if that first team is built around the big three and, uh, and Kawhi Leonard, uh, the second team is kind of the new guard, these kind of newer players we're seeing, and a couple of, hold, uh, 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 a couple of standouts from the 14, key, uh, key contributors from the 14 uh, Finals season. Uh, you're talking about Patty Mills, the point guard, DeMar DeRozan, the shooting guard, Rudy Gay at small forward, Boris Diaz, at power forward and Tiago Splitter uh, at that power forward center position. And then, of course, honorable mention goes to the sixth man, Matt Bonner. We can't leave him off the team here. Uh, he's, he's kind of the, the de facto face of the, the, the fans' favorite Spurs uh, from the last decade there. Um, but yeah, like I said, players from the new guard, players who were contributors on that championship team. Are there any honorable mentions that you think uh, got left off this list? Yeah, I as you you and Evan did a great job putting this list together, first and foremost. I really don't have any arguments about any of those 12 spots, uh, you know, one through five, plus the sixth man on either the first or the second team. I'll, I'll sort of play devil's advocate for a few guys, but I can't actually say, you know, gun to my head that I would want to change any of these any of these spots. Talent-wise, Richard Jefferson, uh, I think, deserves to be shouted out. That The, the problem for an all-decade team is he was really only with the Spurs for about a season and a half at the be- very beginning of the decade. But you look at, uh, I think, total number of minutes played in a single season, and he had one of the top five or ten. Uh, really, the Spurs, he was a workhorse for them at the, at the beginning of the decade, uh, obviously when he had a lot more spring in his step than what you remember, uh, you know, maybe 2016, 2017, 2018, Richard Jefferson being... Uh, George Hill also was a key piece of that early uh, decade Spurs team. Of course, he was much more important for the Spurs in that he was the key piece in the trade that got the Spurs that draft pick that became Kawhi Leonard. So as important as he was to the Spurs on the court, I think his legacy in San Antonio is that he... he, Draft day, remember, Kawhi Leonard seemed like a little bit of a reach maybe, uh, George Hill was a proven commodity, a really valuable guy. Coach Poppy said he hated to part ways with him. So he deserves uh, at least an honorable mention here in the all-decade. And then Marco Bellinelli, who's now on his second stint with the Spurs this decade. He's had some—this season's been a little touch-and-go for him. Last season, he had some moments for the Spurs where he saved them in some games, and he was a part of that 2014 title team as a as a very similar role, sort of a sniper off the bench. Yeah, and let's not forget, too, I mean, he was an NBA All-Star three-point champion uh, as well. Uh, so, I mean, it, recently, I think Spurs fans have uh, really directed their ire towards him as they want more Lonnie Skywalker involved. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you mentioned George Hill as well. Like up until 2014, up until Kawhi Leonard's MVP season, that was considered like the poster child of fair trades, balanced trades, where everyone got what they wanted. The Thanos of trades, perfectly balanced in every way. Uh, so yeah, I mean, those are great honorable mentions. It just goes back to the Spurs depth that they've had throughout the decade where you can build a team of 12 and there's still three or four guys where you go, well, maybe they got left off, maybe not. Um, so yeah, you know, that wraps up the decade for the Spurs. What lays in the future, you know, is, is a lot more transition, I think. Probably a little bit more losing, unfortunately. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll see what happens. It, Popovich is going to retire this decade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we're doing this podcast in 2029 and we're still talking about the Coach Popovich Spurs 
Something crazy has happened. Uh, he's found the elixir of life, I think. Um, Fountain of youth or something. Yeah. It's in, at the bottom of one of those wine bottles. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break real quick, uh, and then we come back. We're going to talk about a little bit around, around the league here, talk about some of the key, key performers that we've seen throughout the last week, and then also what's driving us batty here in San Antonio. Well, Kins 5 is the official TV station of the San Antonio Spurs. We're carrying 15 Spurs games on Kins 5 this season, with the next one coming tonight, Tuesday, December 31st, when the Spurs cap off 2019 against the Golden State Warriors. Coverage starts at 6 p.m., and new this year, you can watch the game and any Spurs game we air on Kins 5 on the Kins 5 app. Just download the new Kins 5 app. It's free, and don't miss out on any of the action. Again, tonight, December 31st, against the Golden State Warriors, and then January 4th, when the Spurs travel to Milwaukee to take on the Eastern Conference-leading Bucks. Again, the app is free. Download it. Don't miss out on any of the action. And remember, we'll have plenty of exclusive Spurs coverage on Kins 5 and Kins5.com throughout the rest of the season. So, Cameron, who stands out to you from around the league this last week? How about reigning Western Conference Player of the Week, Brandon Ingram? There we go. You almost weren't sure if it was ever going to come together for Brandon Ingram. He was the number two pick. This is his fourth season already, which makes it a contract year for him. It's his first season in New Orleans. He was maybe going to be the face of the Lakers. Then it was going to be Lonzo Ball. And then, oh, this LeBron guy wants to come and It kind of changed everything. The Pelicans are on a four-game winning streak. They're starting to look more like the team we expected them to be. Even without Zion Williamson there, I think there was optimism that they were going to maybe challenge for an eight seed in the playoffs. Unless Zion returns pretty early in January and leads them on a 15 to 20 game winning streak, it's not going to happen. They're, they're, they're a ways back. Uh, since they lost to Golden State, they beat Portland, Denver, Indiana, and Houston. So it's a bad loss, followed by four really good wins uh, for this young Pelicans team. In that Houston win, Lonzo Ball almost had a triple-double with 27, 10, and 8. Uh, but it has been Brandon Ingram who's really been uh, the guy for that team. He's been so consistent. This month, he was only held under 20 points twice. He averaged 24.5 points, shooting 48 from the field, uh, 40% from deep, and 90 from the free throw. And so 24 points per game on 48-40-90 splits. That's, that's legit. That's big time. Uh, also grabbing six boards and four assists tonight, and he's looking like the number two pick. He's looking like a guy who had that top-end lottery talent. Remember the, the conversation, he was picked uh, just one spot behind Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons has, has been a guy who's also been dissected and picked apart so much. Brandon Ingram's had some health issues. Now he's putting the points on the board. He's been the leader of a team, and if he keeps it up this summer, he's getting paid. New Orleans, bring back Zion. Do it. Don't sit him out the whole season. Don't let this season be a loss. You know, you want to see Brendan Ingram with this career year play alongside that face of the franchise, the future of that franchise and Zion. Uh, that's going to be a deadly pair if they do re-sign him. And you want to re-sign him because he was a oh, key yeah. part of that trade when you sent Anthony Davis to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, sure, Lonzo Ball was the the kind of the, the more, I guess, accepted name. Oh, yeah, we're getting Lonzo in this trade. Uh, Brendan Ingram had more questions around him because he really hadn't performed that number two. You like to see him performing up to that level. Uh, a guy who I've, I've been watching and I can't get enough watching is Nikola Jokic, who's finally in December performing to the level he was at last year. Um, and you're talking about a guy who is seven feet tall, 255 pounds. He's doing things guys that size should not do, uh, including against the Kings last night or two nights ago. He had a crossover from behind the three-point line, crossed over one guy, crossed over another guy, blew past the defense, 
put a layup in. You could have told me that was James Harden, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, just a little bit in slow-mo there. Uh, but you like to see the ball handling from there. He's a one-of-a-kind player. They call him the unicorns of the NBA there. Um, and he really struggled to start the season. He was averaging 15 points a game in October and November. Um, the rebounds were there. The assist numbers were low. He's really picked it up in December. He's now back to 20 points per game. He's averaging uh, 10 rebounds, 8 assists for, for the whole season. And, you know, the, the Nuggets have kind of gone unsung. They're the second seed in a Western Conference where people are talking about the Lakers, talking about the Clippers, talking about, oh, the finals have to go through Los Angeles. Uh, oh, maybe the Rockets can put it together. You know, maybe they can click in. It's been a little disappointing for them so far. Don't sleep on Denver. They're a team that finally got a taste of the playoffs with these young guys. They're going to be hungry. They're going to want to go back. They could be a team that people forget about and ends up, you know, in the Western Conference Finals or maybe even rep representing the Western Conference uh, in, in the NBA Finals. I think Jokic is a guy who could really provide a lot of problems uh, if they run into the Lakers in the playoffs, and it's Jokic against Davis. Uh, that's a matchup I'm really looking forward to seeing down the line. If it's in the second round of the playoffs, the Western Conference Finals, that's going to be very exciting. Yeah, I love Jokic's game. He's a blast to watch. It seems like sometimes he's just kind of playing a little casually. The fact of the matter is he doesn't have that top gear the way the way some other top ball handlers do because he's seven foot. And uh, he's a guy I think that the buzz around him was, yeah, he came in maybe a little out of shape. He, he really enjoyed his summer. He played this summer uh, in the uh, the World Cup, but, you know, sometime in between there, probably, uh, you know, skipped the gym a few times and... Uh, is a guy who has that reputation of being a guy who plays his way into shape and uh, reminds me in some ways of like an evolutionary Boris Diaw and then some. I guess, yeah, if, you, if Boris Diaw is standing on the shoulders of a child, you know, to get that extra height, then, I, yeah, I could see that. Uh, you know, 250 pounds, like I said, that's his listed weight. Sure. You could add 30 pounds of that, and I'd believe it. Sure. <laughs> he's a little bit yeah. of a doughboy out there. But, yes, uh, he, he, he is, he's, he's the Pokemon evolution with, from Boris Diaw, and Jokic does everything better than Boris. Yeah, that's no disrespect to Boris <laughs> Diaw, but he, that, that is like the, he's, he's the evolved Boris Diaw. I want to see his cappuccino game before I make those comparisons. But. Very true. <laughs> so, I mean, those are two guys that we're seeing on the court who excite us. Cameron, do you want to tell us about someone we're not seeing who may be driving you a little batty? All right, we've got a rant incoming. Uh, get ready, because this is going to hurt a little bit, Spurs fans. In that last game against the Pistons, Damari Carroll picked up another DNP CD. That's did not play coach's decision. It's his 18th of the season, which means he's played in 13 games for the Spurs. His PER, player efficiency rating, when he plays is 5.22. The league average for PER is always set at a solid 15.00. Everything is always in relation to average player 15.0 PER. And obviously, there's going to be a lot more bunching around the middle. The great players are 30-plus. That's MVP caliber stuff. And then as you start getting lower and lower, you get weird things with guys with really small sample sizes. And we can talk about the numbers here in a second. 5.22 is bad. That's very, very bad. Uh, that's less than half of Lonnie Walker's, who has a 10.6, and Marco Bellinelli, who has an 8. Uh, the league average, again, 15. Here's a stat, and I know this has changed a little bit since I looked this up. I was researching this on uh, Sunday night. Uh, among players who are in at least their third season, so cutting out rookies and second-year guys who usually are still figuring out the NBA game, and who have appeared in at least 10 games, so that means they've had to play in at least a third of their team's games. So we're talking about usually at least some experienced veterans who are contributors to their team. Damar, Damari Carroll has the 
fifth or sixth worst PER at 5.2. He's only ahead of Tyrone Wallace of the Hawks, Malcolm Miller of the Raptors, Dwayne Bacon of the Hornets, Terrence Ferguson of the Thunder, and then, I guess as of last night, Eric Gordon, who had a bad game for the Rockets. You'd be forgiven if you don't recognize any of those names as an NBA fan. Damari Carroll, he's a great locker room guy. There's a reason the Spurs signed him. There's a reason the Spurs go after veterans with a proven track record. He's a guy who adds something. He's been through some of these battles. He's a guy that the younger players can look up to. He does things the right way. He's a great guy. Some other names on the list that are ahead of him in terms of PER, guys who are sort of on their last legs, and we've heard people saying, hey, they're, having, they're, they're not good players who are struggling this year. Wayne Ellington, Iman Shumpert, Vince Carter, Ed Davis, Evan Turner. These are, these are guys, that's the company he's in right now in terms of these veterans who have a low PER, they've played in at least 10 games, and they're not first or second year players. Here's the problem. A lot of those names are either still guys who are on their rookie deal, so they're inexpensive and expiring, or they're veterans who are basically on the last year of their deal. The problem is the Spurs just signed Damari Carroll. Uh, he's on the first year of a three-year deal where the last year is partially guaranteed. But the Spurs are paying him $7 million this year, $6.5 million next year, and he already has uh, $1.3 million guaranteed in the third year of his contract with San Antonio. He's already playing less than half of the team's games, and he's been very ineffective when he's on the floor. He's 33 years old. He's apparently been dealing with some uh, injuries and uh, some minor stuff that's been just trying to get him into playing shape. Uh over the course of this season, the first couple games of this season. I hope he can get it back on track. Like I say, he's a great guy. He's not getting run on a team that's not a contender right now. I appreciate the veteran leadership, but we also are talking about some opportunity cost uh, in terms of every minute that he's out there, every day that he's taking up a roster spot. 33-year-old veteran leadership doesn't add a lot on the floor. You know, he's not living up to his contract on the floor, but he is a fire dresser. He's putting oh, yeah. every every <laughs> dollar into that outfit uh, that he wears every game. Uh, follow the Spurs Instagram page. Look at the pregame outfits. Uh, he's the best dresser on the team for sure. And if it wasn't for Lonnie Walker, he'd have the best hair on the team too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, uh, he, he definitely wins the All Star in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, at, you know, at this time of year, as we're seeing, uh, it's time for the All Star vote. That was a terrible segue, uh, but I'm going to live with that because that's what you get on the Big Fun Pod. But yes, it's time for the All Star vote. And I know it's, it's the all-stars. It's not, you know, the best players. It's not, you know, the people who are worth it. It's the give the people what they want, the all-stars, which means that, you know, 50% of the vote is fan-based, 25% is the media, and then there's a 25% player vote. So you're going to get a lot of people voting for their favorite players, but play, voting on name recognition alone. There's a lot of homerism already baked into the whole process. So, you know, get ready then to see Steph Curry, who's played in four games, to be a top vote-getter again. Uh, then the, the international vote plays a huge role in this. And that's, and that's fine because the NBA is an international game. But we saw rookie Luka Doncic uh, reaching starting five levels in the All-Star vote there last year. I mean, that's going to propel him. He'll probably be a top vote-getter again this year. He's earned it this year, though. Uh, Giannis, again, with that international vote, is probably going to be the leading vote-getter uh, in the NBA All-Star game. Uh, so, you know, th- there's a lot of things to be said about letting the fans vote into it. But I just want to say, as a Spurs fan, I don't know if I can, in good conscience, vote for... For my homers, my LaMarcus Aldridge, my DeMar DeRozan, in a season where they are, you know, up before these four games, we're stinking up the joints. You know, uh, these are guys 
who were hitting the floor, and uh, I think a lot of people expected them to underperform, um, or would, would have said they were underperforming. A team that might have been tanking for um, you know a, a first round pick or you know a lottery pick here, uh, and there are also two guys whose name have been connected to a lot of trade scuttlebutt. Um, you know, if I vote for those guys as my Spurs All-Stars, are they going to be Spurs by the time they reach the All-Star game? Um, you know, you got to also talk about how the voting works. You vote for a starting five. That's three front court players, two back court players. There's easily three guys at the position better than LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, and there's arguably, I mean, not arguably, there's inarguably two guys already better at the backcourt position than DeMar. That is a loaded field. So I'm not going to be surprised if those two guys don't get into it, uh, into the All-Star game. So therefore, I'm going to vote as an NBA fan, as a basketball fan, and not a homer. Uh, those two Spurs guys, I love them. I'm not voting for them for the All-Star game. I wish all of NBA players would vote as NBA fans and not as team fans because I want to see the best game. I want to see the best players on the court, you know, uh, people who have really earned it, not just by name recognition. Uh, we've seen Kobe Bryant be a top vote getter in his last season. Uh, that was terrible. Uh, yeah. You know, there's guys who, who, who deserve that spot. And, you know, you might say it doesn't matter. What's the point? It's just, you know, fan all-star thing. When it comes to the Hall of Fame consideration, when it comes to us talking about greatest of all time, we always rope all-star appearances into this. We were talking earlier about all-decade teams. Where Kawhi Leonard lacks on the resume is all-star appearances, with only three in the decade, compared to guys like LeBron and James Harden, um, who's, you know, I'm not going to say Leonard is better than LeBron, but he's got all the other acumen. He's got the Defensive Player of the Year, he's got the MVPs. So if all-star is going to matter when we talk about ranking these players in greatness, then let's take it seriously. It's funny that you mention All-Stars, because in a way it actually ties back to one more point I wanted to make about Damari Carroll and, and putting his career in perspective. He was part of that 2014-2015 uh, Atlanta Hawks team. He was the only starter who wasn't an All-Star for that team. If you, for, if you forgot just how weird the Eastern Conference was in the middle of this past decade, uh, Kyle Korver, Jeff Teague, Paul Millsap, and Al Horford were all All-Stars in the 2015 NBA All-Star game. The fifth member of the starting Atlanta Hawks unit was Damari Carroll that year. And uh, now he's obviously with the Spurs. That team is obviously broken up, and the Hawks are in different places. Those four players are all on four very different teams. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I remember there being controversy about that, and I remember the, the scorching hot take at the time was, well, if we're going to put four guys, let's just, let's just go ahead and put Damari Carroll in the All-Star game too, just because it was that hard to find uh, Eastern Conference All-Stars in, in 2014-2015. So... It, it, what a time now. Uh, obviously, it's always different in the Western Conference where there's always going to be one or two guys who feel they deserve it and got snubbed. Uh, Eastern Conference has, even in the last couple years when it's gotten a little more even, there seems to maybe be one guy who gets in who maybe shouldn't, and that's often because of an injury somewhere. The, the, the All-Star game, I think it's always important to remember it for what it is, and it's, it's a show. Uh, but there's always, as much as Spurs fans want to say there's a bias against the Spurs, and you could say, oh, Tony and Manu should have had more All-Star appearances. The Spurs have also had an All-Star for the last, whatever, 23 years, something like that. The streak is insane. Yeah, and I mean, they're not going to get it this year. That was one of the things that was predicted uh, at the beginning of the season. There's an off chance that I think LaMarcus Aldridge gets in there. I think the backcourt's, backcourt's just a little too loaded for DeMar DeRozan to appear. Maybe as an injury guy, if someone goes down along the line here, uh, filling in and replacing him there. Uh, it's going to be fun to see Frank Vogel co coaching this all-star team, though. Uh, he's having a wonderful season there in Los Angeles with the Lakers. 
And yeah, you start looking at the other periphery events, the three-point contest, the skills contest, the Young Stars contest. Maybe Lonnie Walker makes the Young Stars team. I don't know. That'd be fun to see. None of these Spurs players are going to be in the three-point contest, though. No, no. Uh, should see Davis Bertans. He's been absolutely on fire this whole season. It's not just against the Spurs. We don't have to feel bad about it. It's not personal. He's been destroying everybody from long range for the, for the Wizards this year. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see Lonnie Walker, especially because the Rising Stars game usually devolves into a slam dunk contest. And uh, really, in terms of those young guys, Lonnie Walker is going to be right up at the top of the list of guys you want to see just out there throwing lobs, throw it off the backboard, you know, get out and run. That game really fits Lonnie's play style really well. Now, the one event we didn't mention, we saw talk about Rising Stars three-point contest, didn't mention the slam dunk contest. We are starting the petition right now. We're going to use the hashtag Lonnie Skywalker to the slam dunk contest or Slam Dunk Skywalker, something like that. Let's get our uh, beloved pineapple-haired shooting guard into the Slam Dunk Contest. That'd be a lot of fun to see. Uh, so let's get the train rolling on that. We'll be on Twitter, uh, at Cameron Songer, at JacksonKins5, at Big Fun Pod, uh, propelling Lonnie Walker to we're, all stardom. We're conducting the train, and uh, it's getting started. Jump on now. Tickets are still affordable, but the bandwagon's going to get rolling. Don't get left behind, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, I hate to end this big fun pod on a, uh, on a more sad, somber note here, but I just have to inform you all that this is Cameron Songer's last appearance on the big fun pod as he moves on to uh, maybe bigger, maybe funner things here. Yeah, staying here in San Antonio, uh, in terms of if you're on the uh, the Twitter feed, still see you'll still see plenty of San Antonio news. Uh, I still see lots of pictures of my dog. Still Spurs see hot some, takes? Still see some, some mildly hot Spurs takes, like spicy level one or two on a scale of like five. Uh but yeah, no, it's 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 been great, Jackson. Uh, leaving it in your very capable hands here. Obviously, we'll get some of the the other Ken's Five staff in, in the mix. Uh, Evan, David Flores, uh, Joe, and Vinny have all been uh, been on the show at different times, and I, I know uh, everyone loves to hear their voices as well. You recognize them from TV. But uh, in terms of my time here at Ken's Five, this is this is the coolest thing I get to do on a pretty regular basis, and. Uh, I'm definitely going to miss it. So thank you. Yeah, we have a Spurs podcast. That's something I wouldn't have imagined <laughs> right? eight months ago, six months ago. So I appreciate you getting this off the, the, the ground floor with me, getting the ball rolling, getting the big and the fun involved in this podcast here at Kins 5. We're going to miss you greatly and uh, good luck on your next endeavors here. Again, sorry to end it on such a sour note, but we'll be back next week to talk about the beginning of the new decade. And be sure to follow us again, like we said, on Twitter at BigFunPod. And uh, make sure you listen to us wherever you may be listening to spot, uh, podcasts in the, in the podcast multiverse, Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher. We're everywhere. We're on Kins5, Kins5.com, the Kins5 app. And we'll see you around next decade. <laughs> it's a dad joke right there, Jackson. <laughs> see you next decade. <laughs>